All right. If you would, please, take your Bible this morning and turn to the maps. I've always wanted to do that. Take your Bible and turn to the maps. I mean, you've got them in there. You paid for them. You might as well use them, right? Take your Bible and turn to the maps. The maps in your Bible are the great benefit to having an actual physical copy made of paper and leather instead of just a cell phone Bible. I know that on your, your digital Bible, you can have every English translation ever produced pulled up in seconds, and you can get any number of languages, French and Hebrew and Ebonics or whatever else. But on an actual Bible, you've got maps. Now, why do you have maps in your Bible? You ever thought about that? I mean, you've got this book that seems to be so long, oftentimes can be, frankly, very difficult to read and understand, and a book that took over a thousand years to put together with all these different genres of law and poetry and history, and you don't have any pictures except for your maps. Do you really need to know the difference from Dan to Beersheba? Like how far is going to, do you really need to know that? The reason you have maps in your Bible is because so much of the Bible is concerned about place. Did you know that God cares about place? Yeah. Think about this. Before God made Adam and Eve, He made a place. Yeah. How much is of the Old Testament story depends upon a place? Now we just rushed through that, talking about the promised land, but that was real land. The eternal and redemptive work of God occurred down here in the dirt of this sinful world. And that occurred in land that could be farmed, land that could be harvested, land where you could build homes, land where you could fight battles, land that could be cultivated, land that could be lost. And as we've studied the Ten Commandments for the past several Sunday mornings, the Ten Commandments are very much given so that the people of Israel would know how to live in the place that God had prepared for them. And none more so than the commandment we are going to consider this morning. The fifth commandment. The commandment where, as, as Brother Ken's already preached half my sermon, the commandment where God tells us and tells His people to honor their mother and their father that they would thrive in the place, in the land that God has given them. So I want you to keep in your mind today the importance of place. God's intentions to bless us where we are as we order our families around obedience to the Word of God. And I want to go ahead and warn you up front. As we consider this commandment today, I know that nobody wants to come to church to feel bad about themselves. I know that nobody wants to interact with the Word of God and be made to feel guilty. It's much easier for us to change what the Word of God says so that we don't feel guilty. Nobody wants to feel bad. Nobody wants to feel like they don't measure up. You didn't come to church this morning to be let down. But as soon as you read this commandment, you know you've blown it. As soon as you interact with it, you know you're guilty. But what does it mean for us to honor our parents? How can we do it well? How can we see this as the center of God's plans for us to thrive? Look with me in Exodus chapter 20. We will read all of the Ten Commandments this morning, but focus in particular... Uh, on the fifth commandment, verse number 12. But let's look in Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 1. Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 1. Another great thing about having a real Bible is that you can hear it. 
Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. When we come to the fifth commandment here, journeying through the Ten Commandments, there is really a significant shift in focus beginning here at the fifth commandment. The first four commandments, or the first table of the law, are primarily concerned about our vertical relationship to God. That we would never worship any other God but the one true God. The God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of creation and the God of redemption, the God who has no equal and the God who has no rival. And God tells us that we should never reduce God down into something that we can create or something that we can imagine. We cannot create any image of God because any representation we would create of God is going to be a misrepresentation of God. We should never take the name of the Lord in vain. We should not live lives or say words that are blasphemous, that denigrate the name of God. And as we saw last week, we must remember the Sabbath day. We must rest when God tells us to rest, work when God tells us to work, and sanctify worship on, we believe as Christians, the first day of the week because God has resurrected Jesus from the dead. That's about our vertical relationship with God. But starting here in the fifth commandment through the second table of the law, ending with that commandment not to covet, God is giving direction about horizontal relationships, about how human beings, particularly here the people of Israel, are to live in healthy community with one another. And so God gives commands like, you shall not murder. It's hard to have a functioning society if people are killing each other. We should value life as God's people. Uh, We should not steal. We take a very strong anti-stealing stance here at our church. Uh, We believe that um, you should not commit adultery. We believe that God cares about marriage and God cares about property and God cares about our hearts. You shall not covet. But this passage of Scripture begins in the home. Because the foundation of a healthy and functioning society is a healthy and functioning family. And so much of that depends upon the relationship between mom and dad and their kids and the kids and mom and dad. 
And I love this fact because this should drive home to us the truth that God's law and His Word is not just some abstraction out in the ether somewhere. God's just not issuing these just groundless commands that make no sense. But God's command here is for children to honor their parents. So that God's commands reach so far down into our lives that they have to do with things like, don't touch the stove, it's hot. Don't put that fork in the outlet. Make sure that you have the car home by 10. God is concerned about those situations in our lives. That's why we have this command. And it's such a wonderful command, too, because it is a command that reminds us God cares about our families. You see the promise attached to this command. The Lord says, honor your parents so that you will live long in the land that I'm giving you. God wanted those children, hearing this command, to prosper. He wanted them to thrive. He loved the children in the community. Whether they were grown children or young children, God cared for those children. And I know that when we come to church, man, we come together as stressed out parents of toddlers. Can I get a witness? And we come as exhausted parents of teenagers. And we come as worried parents of grown-ups who are just acting like knuckleheads. (laughs) Mom, Dad, listen to me today. God cares about your family. God cares about your children. God loves them much more than you ever could or ever would. And He wants to see them prosper and live in obedience and flourishing before Him. And that's why He gives us this command. But more broadly, it is also important that we understand that all of our relationships with one another are guided first by our relationship with God. That as we are right with Him, only then are we able to be right with one another. In fact, 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 20 confronts us in, in the plainest language with this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So we can come to church and we can have our Sunday school lesson and preach our sermon and we can have our music and put our hands in the air and give our testimonies and all of that. But if we don't love one another, if we can't love the people we're actually looking at, can we really claim to love the God that we don't see? If we can't love the people who are actually talking to us, can we really claim to love the God who has spoken to us in his word? You just you can't argue with that logic, can you? But that logic of loving God and loving others starts at home. The Lord commands me to love my neighbor. And who are my first neighbors? It's not the people across the street. It's the people across the table. My wife and my children, my parents in North Carolina, I'm commanded to honor them. Just as my children are commanded to honor me. I wanted, I even told them last night, I said, y'all need to be sitting on the front row for this sermon. Y'all need to hear this. How, how do we understand this commandment to honor our parents? I think the place to begin is by looking at the promise attached to this command. There's a promise attached to this command. You can see it right there in the text. That if you honor your mother and your father, you will live long in the land that the Lord, your God, is giving to you. This is a commandment about place, and it's a commandment for people and how people can thrive in that place by having healthy homes. Now, if you grew up in a house like I did, where people feared the Lord and they wanted me to fear them, they probably took this commandment and they used it to threaten you really good, didn't they? I know you can't threaten your kids now anymore. But my parents didn't believe that, y'all. And they would tell me, boy, the Bible says you better honor us, that your days may be long upon the earth. And what they meant was, if you don't listen to us, we're going to kill you. That's what they meant. I know exactly what they meant. And so I learned fairly quickly because I'm still alive. And, and you know, I'm, I'm trying that tactic with my kids now. But really the promise attached to this command 
is about more than just having a long lifespan. The promise here is to the people of Israel, corporately, that the only way they can flourish as a community, flourish as a nation, is when they have healthy families. And that starts when children obey their parents. And so the commandment here is that the home, the family, is the foundation for the larger godly society. So the promise is given here. Paul calls this in Ephesians 6, the first command with promise. The commandment is to the entire covenant community, if you really want to live well in the land, if you really want to flourish as a community of faith, then you'd better get your families right. So the Bible says, repeats this in, in Ephesians 6, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Colossians chapter number 3 and verse number 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is well-pleasing. This pleases the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4. The apostle Paul puts the emphasis on the parents. And we'll get there, Ken. Don't worry, man. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Bring them up. Discipline, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What God intended for the people of Israel was again for a healthy and functioning family to be the foundation for a healthy and functioning society. That was His design for Israel, and it's still His design today. Because it was in the home that those little Hebrew children learned about their God. It was in the home where those little Hebrew children were taught to memorize Scripture. It was in the home, I'm going to show you in just a minute, where those little Hebrew children would ask questions about the law of God and their fathers, their fathers would respond, respond to them by saying, we were slaves in Egypt, but God's power worked on our behalf. God's love interrupted our poverty. God's grace conquered our enemies and brought us to where we are. It was in the home where children learned to obey God by obeying their parents. Let me say that again. It was in the home where children learned to obey God by obeying their parents. You're in the book of Exodus. Flip ahead a little bit to your right to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Deuteronomy chapter number 6 in a passage of Scripture that every little Israelite child would have had to memorize. But I want you to see this in context. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. You see that? It's not just the Lord my God. The Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's, that's the heartbeat of the Old Testament in that verse. You can put your fingers there and find the pulse of the Old Testament. But notice verse 6, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to who? Your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. In other words, if I can translate that maybe into our modern lives, you shall teach them to your children. Talk about them at the dinner table. When you take the dog for a walk, talk about the grace of God, the Word of God, the goodness of God. When they get up in the morning, pray with them as they thank God for another day of life. Before they go to bed at night, pray with them that God would sustain them through the night. And on and on he goes, but look on in verse number 20 of Deuteronomy 6. 
when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of these testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Like every punk teenager, even 4,000 years ago, wants to know, Dad, why do we have all these rules? Right? Do we really have to go to church? Do we really have to honor Yahweh as our God? Why do we do this? Then you shall say to your son, this is a conversation between a father and a son. We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us from there that he might bring us in. Somebody say amen. And give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord, the Lord who saved us, commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Do you see everything wrapped up in that? The home is so devoted to the Lord that the son wants to ask, Dad, why do we do all this stuff? And Dad says, Buddy, let me tell you. The reason we do all this stuff is because we were slaves in Egypt. Son, let me tell you what it was like living down there in Egypt. Let me tell you what it was like getting up as a kid every day and having a taskmaster with a whip working me from sunup to sundown. And let me tell you what it was like when Moses came preaching deliverance in the name of the God of Abraham. And let me tell you what it was like that first Passover. And let me tell you what it was like crossing the Red Sea. And let me tell you what it was like at Sinai. Let me tell you how God showed us His power. Buddy, I was there. I know. I remember. And our God has given us these commands for our good. Buddy, these aren't, these aren't restrictive. They're not hurtful. They're not bad. These are for good because God loves you. Do you see the beauty in that? Man, that's incredible, isn't it? That the foundation of a healthy and functioning society is a healthy and functioning family. And that is bad news for a culture like ours. Really, really bad news. Because we live in a culture that hates the family. Hates it. We live in a culture that claims to love love, but hates the family as God designed it. We hate it. We've rejected the wisdom of God, and we've chosen death, as the Bible tells us. And not only in all the different things that we could, we could complain about, drag queen story hour, and we could talk about abortion, and we could all these cultural issues. Yes, I know about that. But there's something deeper beyond that. And the something deeper in that is that we have attempted to take the irreducible family unit and make it even smaller. So that the most binding social unit for our culture is not the family, but it's ourself. That's why so often the perspective people have about their families, and I know families are screwed up. Man, that's why I'm preaching about Abraham's screwed up family on Sunday nights. Come back tonight and you can hear about a screwed up family. But a family held together by the promises of God. Nonetheless, we, we have taken... Our families, maybe they are screwed up, maybe they're not. And we look back at our families and we think, now I've got to overcome everything my family did to me. Right? I've, I've got to get past how they messed me up. I've got to move beyond them so that I can live my life. So that I can find fulfillment. So that I can find self-actualization. So that I can find contentment. And so all, all this kind of thing, right? What have we done? Like the prodigal son, we've rejected the family and we've chosen ourselves. And we've done that culturally, and we're broken because of it. 
Because in the ancient world, in the, in the nation of Israel, man, y'all know it was, it was a tribal, man, they had tribes, it was a tribal community where the family unit was the most important unit in the person's life. The family made decisions together. People were deeply concerned about honoring their family or shaming their ancestors. We don't care about any of that. We care about ourselves. And because we care about ourselves, our society is broken. It's broken because we don't honor this principle in the Word of God that the foundation of a healthy and functioning society is a healthy and functioning family. And as much as we might like to come to church and say, Amen, preacher brother, you're right, you tell them, get them, nail them to the wall. Drag queen story hours and abomination, abortions and crime, you know, all this kind of thing. Y'all, in the church, we're just as bad. In the church, we are just as bad. We are just as addicted to no-fault divorce as our culture is. Bare statistics. We are addicted to no-fault divorce. We cohabitate at the same rates as other people and avoid marriage. And on and on the examples go, we need to get our house in order. We need to get our homes in order. That we would seriously take God's Word at face value and say that if our home is out of order, nothing else can be right. Do you understand today that as a pastor, I'm not qualified to be your pastor if my home is out of order? That's the Word of God. There are, are, are men in churches that are not qualified to be pastors or elders or, or whatever terminology or even deacons because their homes are out of order. We need to take that very, very seriously because our witness is affected. Affected. Our ability to serve is affected. We need to say, God, as we sang a moment ago, God, glorify yourself in our home. In our home. Because here's the fact, our church is made up of families. Church is not a group of consumers that meet together to imbibe their religious product. It's not individual units. We are a church of families. If our families are not right, nothing can be right. So how do we make it right? That's, there's promises attached to this command, but there are practices embedded in this command. Honor your father and your mother. What does it mean to honor your parents? I mean, that's what we've got to talk about today, right? What does it mean to honor your parents? Now, obviously, I hope you know, we can't touch on every family dynamic and every family situation and every exception and every difficulty. Understand all that. And it looks very, very different when you're 8 than 18 and 28 and 58 and on and on and on. Parents, maybe your parents are not even part of your life. Maybe they have passed away or they've been totally absent. I understand all of those different dynamics. But normally, what does it look like to honor your mother and your father? Well, the word honor, the Hebrew word for honor here is the Hebrew word chaved, which is also the Hebrew word for glory. But what it really means is a word for weight. Weight. And we, we think about weight as a bad thing. Like, weight is the reason, you know, my coats are getting tight and I don't like the news that the bathroom scale preaches to me. That's weight. But think of weight as significance. Think of weight as importance, as substance. We say that somebody has a weighty argument about a particular issue because they said something. It was clear, it was direct, it was substantive. That's the idea here. That God has designed the home so that parents have the weight in the family. I don't know, Jesse. I just don't know. That's kind of old-fashioned. I don't know. Parents have the weight in the family. That's why they're bigger than their kids. Right? That's why one of my favorite things to do with Asa, man, he loves to wrestle. 
He loves to wrestle. Daddy, can we wrestle? Daddy, can we wrestle? But he's instituted a no power bomb rule now. Um, a few at- mistakes were made. It's not important to point fingers at what or who. <laughs> but we can't power bomb Asa anymore. Um, but one of the things I love to do when we wrestle and we, we horseplay, and, and dads, you boys need that. They need you to, to scrap with them a little bit. And do it while you can because you won't always be bigger than them. But I'll pin him on the bed or on the couch, and I'll tickle him and lay into him, and he'll scream, and I'll ask him, I'll say, who's your daddy? And he'll say, you are, you are. And I'll ask him, Terry, I'll say, and who's in charge? He'll say, you are, you are. The idea is that children grow up knowing that their parents have significance, that their parents have weight. In other words, that the influence of mom and dad shapes the parent's or the child's life. So what does that mean? Well, before we can talk to the kids, we've got to talk to parents. We've got to talk to parents. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 6, and there's a lot we could say about this verse just for time, and we, 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 can't, we can't get into everything, but train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's older, he will not depart from it. Most of us have heard that verse our whole lives. Train up a child. Your kids do not need to grow up. They need to be trained up. Your kids do not need to grow up. They need to be trained up. They need to be taught. They need to be disciplined. They need to be nurtured. And you cannot outsource that to anybody else if you are their mother, if you are their father. And so part of that, not all of it, part of it means powerbombing them on the bed even when they're screaming. The biggest part of it means that we teach our children to obey this commandment. We teach our children and order our home in such a way that this commandment is central to their life. So here's what I know about some of us. If our kids broke the third commandment, if they took the Lord's name in vain, you'd beat them half to death with a Mr. Potato Head. But you let them break this commandment on the regular. But God has designed the family and the home so that your children learn how to honor authority and honor God in the way that they honor you. And that means that we cannot be passive when it comes to this. Your children are little sinners. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of correction driveth it far from him. Your children are little sinners with Adam's nature, and they want to resist authority as often and in any creative way that they can. They want to argue with you, want to use mom against dad and dad against mom. They want to manipulate you, and they are crafty, and they are clever, and God help us, they've got so much energy. Your responsibility, your responsibility is to remind them in loving ways that they need to honor you, that they respect you, especially going back to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4, the primary The primary influence in ensuring children obey the commandments of God is the Father. It's the Father. Men, you cannot be passive on this. This is a God-given responsibility to you as the head of your home. Well, they're quiet. They're quiet. God has given you the privilege and the opportunity to be the head of your home. Don't waste that. Be the man of God that God has has called you to be. The man of God that your children need. There's no greater title that I have than daddy. 
and I want to do everything in my power. I know they'll grow up and make their own choices. They're going to make dumb ones just like I did. But I want to do everything in my power to make sure my children know that they are supposed to honor their mother and father. And dads in particular, one thing that means is you never let your children disrespect their mother when you are around. I'm serious. If you can't get away with talking to her like that, buddy, don't let them get away with talking to her like that. Make sure they respect the God-ordained authority in the home. And that's why, guys, frankly, that's why we, uh, part of the reason at least, we're, we're, we want you to participate with us in this better man study. We need men. Our, my kids need a man. They need a man. My wife needs a man. She doesn't need a, a grown-up man-child. She doesn't need a little boy with a beard. She needs a man. This church needs men to serve and to lead and to love, to fight and to die. So if you haven't signed up, please, please sign up. But look, look, we didn't come here today to make ourselves feel bad. We want to get on the kids, don't we? Let's go. What does it mean for children to honor their father and their mother? So, obviously this looks different when you're a little kid living at home. So I'll talk to you all first. If you're here today and, and let's say preteen thereabouts or younger, this means that you do what your parents tell you. This means that you, you don't disobey them. You don't argue, them, argue with them. That you actually don't know as much as they know. It's hard to believe. But that you listen to them. And you do what they say. As you get a little bit older and as you become a teenager, ideally, if you've been raised well, ideally you're going to have more freedom as you have more maturity. And... Honoring your parents at that stage really is about making sure that you never do anything to make your parents worry about you, especially your mom, so that you go the places you'll say you go. You are with the people you say you're with, and you still obey them when they say, have the car home by 10. You don't make reckless and foolish and immature choices that are going to make your dad's auto insurance premiums go up. So, Brother Jesse, I don't even know what that means. That's why you have to have the car home by 10. <laughs> but then as we grow up, and as we get older, go to college, get married, whatever, we have our own homes. We may have our own families. And it looks very different honoring your parents at that stage of life, doesn't it? But what does it mean? It means you call your mom. You call your mom. It means you ask your dad for advice. It means that you... Listen well to them, that you value them. Then as we get even older, it becomes probably more difficult and more nuanced to honor our parents. It's pretty easy having a car home by 10 most of the time. What's difficult is thinking about how do I take care of aging parents? How do I serve them when it's my turn to stay up late at night making sure they're okay? And I don't, I don't have answers for that. Every medical situation is different. Every family is different. But I will say this to you today. You honor your parents by doing everything you can to ensure that they have the best quality of life possible. That's how you honor your parents. And sometimes that means you bring them into your home when it's not convenient. But sometimes that means you put them in places where they can receive the care that they need. And that's hard for us to do because we feel like we're dishonoring our parents or we feel guilty or we feel like we're just pushing them off. I'm not talking about pushing your parents away. That's not honoring your parents. But what I'm saying to you, think about this. When Jesus was crucified, 
one of the things of the seven statements he made on the cross, one of them was to John. Remember that? And he said to John, his disciple, John, my mother, this is your mom now. And he said to his mom, he said, Mom, this is your son now. Now we know that Jesus rose again from the dead, and we know that 40 days later he ascended back to heaven. We know that that was not the end of Jesus' life. But in that moment, Jesus was honoring his mother. Even as he died, he was keeping the law of God keeping the law of God, to honor his mom and to make sure that when he was not able, as it were, to take care of her, somebody would be there to take care of her and to help her. That's what it means to honor your mother and your father. Now, we hear this, though, and our culture being what it is, our lives being what they are, being born in less than ideal circumstances, less than ideal Families. I know today that not everybody grew up in a family like I did. And I would not trade my parents for any of y'all's. I wouldn't. Because I want to honor them. <laughs> and they do watch from time to time. So I love you guys if you are watching. <laughs> Thank y'all. And I'm sorry for everything you know about. And we won't talk about what you don't know about. But not everybody has that. And I know that some of you are here this morning. And you feel very acutely that you have to honor parents that for a lot of reasons are not honorable. That is, parents that were a, a dad who wasn't there. A dad you may not know. A mom who's emotionally abusive. Um, people that were struggling with drug addiction. We know the stories. On and on and on and on we go. How do you honor them? How do you honor them? Because yes, God does command you to honor your parents. My counsel to you, not knowing every detail of the story, is this. You honor your parents by honoring God in the way you interact with your parents. That's how you honor your parents. You honor your parents by honoring your heavenly Father in the way you talk about, treat, interact with your parents. So just very, very quickly, it honors God when you forgive. It honors God when you forgive. Not to minimize any pain or trauma from your childhood. Not trying to do that. But I am trying to say that our God is gracious and He has forgiven us of a debt that we never could pay. And God may want to show that same grace to your parents through you. You honor God when you forgive. I know parents, your parents may have, they may have been just a bad mom and dad. I'm sorry if that's the case. And they may not even be alive anymore and you still deal with it. I know these are complex things, but it honors God when you forgive. It honors God when you are thankful. The book of Proverbs talks about this. It, entreat, it entreats us to be thankful for our fathers who gave us life. Some of you maybe weren't raised in good homes, but by the grace of God, you've had a pretty good life. And just from a biological perspective, and even from a theological perspective, God providentially determined that you would exist through the union of your mom and dad. And you should be thankful to God for that. Honor God. By being thankful, by being forgiving, honor God by being kind. It honors God when you're kind. But with that being said, be clear. The text does not say you should trust your parents. It's not what it says. The Bible does not say you should have certain emotional feelings towards your parents. I hope you have positive emotional experiences towards your, towards your parents. The Bible does not even say you should always obey your parents. Because sometimes godly children may receive ungodly advice that would be sinful from their parents. Now, hopefully, that's not the case. But how do you honor your mother and your father? You honor them by honoring God. 
You know how you honor your mom and dad? Proverbs chapter 22, verses 23 and 24. Here's how you honor your mother and your father. I could have just told you this and we could have went home half an hour ago. It says this, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. You honor your parents by being a person that they are proud of. That's how you honor your parents. By living in such a way where they would say, I'm proud that that's my son. I'm proud that that's my daughter. I'm proud they're my kids. That's how you honor your parents. I understand, again, not every family is going to speak those words of affirmation. There are some things maybe with some of your dads you could never do for them to say they're proud of you. But generally, proverbially, you honor your parents by being a person that they are proud of. And let me reaffirm to you today the truth of the gospel. And the truth of the gospel is that even if your family situation is less than ideal, you have a heavenly Father who loves you. And our Heavenly Father is not an absentee dad who walks out on his children. Our Heavenly Father is not an abusive father who's cruel to his children. But our Heavenly Father is a good father. And as a good father, he's there and he loves us, he provides for us, and he hears us and he cares. There'll never be a time when you run to him and say, Father, I need you. Daddy, where are you? And you wouldn't be able to find him. The other night I was playing hide and seek with the kids. And we have a pretty little house, you know but I got them. And the thing about it is, I was hiding right in the middle of the floor. They just couldn't see me. They're not, they're not real bright, you know, but they couldn't see me. And they asked me afterwards, Daddy, Daddy, where were you hiding at? I said, I'm not going to tell you where I was hiding. That's my hiding spot, man. Our Heavenly Father loves us, but He is not playing hide and seek with us. He is not hidden from us, but He pursues us and He cares for us and He loves us deeply. And take hope in that. But as a good father, our Heavenly Father is serious about our obeying Him. Even in difficult family situations, He wants you to obey Him and to glorify Him and to be the presence of God and the presence of Christ in a hard family. But one more thing before we finish up. I alluded to this a moment ago. We are very, very quick to hold up our lives to the law of God and the Word of God, and say, well, I'm not that bad. And without being prideful or self-righteous or arrogant, I can do that pretty well with the Ten Commandments. I've never killed anybody of you. Never committed adultery. It depends on how you define bear false witness. I've never, as far as I know, I've never stolen anything in my life. Left a grocery store, maybe didn't pay, didn't realize I got home, but I've never intentionally stolen in my life. Because again, I honored my mother and father, and I didn't want to get marched back in there and say, I took this gum, I'm an idiot, I'm sorry. I didn't, you know. And so it's easy for me to say, well, you know, I must be doing pretty good. But this commandment crushes me. I'm guilty of not honoring my parents. And I could tell you story after story, but I want to be able to come back to work later, and, and so you don't need to know. But my parents could tell you story after story of ways that I dishonored them. And I rebelled against them, and in doing so, rebelled against God. And I want you to hear me tonight or today in love. You've broken this commandment. I don't know your family situation. I don't know the dynamics. Good parents, bad parents, step-parents, foster parents, grandparents. You're guilty. You're guilty. At this point, the law of God gets all of us. 
it gets my smart mouth as a teenager. I know you don't believe that, but that smart aleck nature in me, it gets it right here. I'm guilty. I'm sinful. My tendency to lie to my parents as, as a younger man, it gets me right here. All of that, the distrust, the disobedience, it condemns it. It says to me in the law of God that I can look at my relationship to my parents and I know that my relationship to God is broken because of it. It tells me that I'm selfish, that I'm self-focused, that I'm self-centered, that I care more about me than I do people around me, and I care more about me than I do the God above me. And so if I have just this one commandment, how can I ever be made right with God? And y'all, the answer is that our Heavenly Father sent His obedient Son into this world, who was a perfect son to a perfect father, came into this world, and took all of my sin on Himself at the cross. And I know we, we just talk about it, it's just Jesus died in our place. Jesus died for my smart mouth. Jesus died for the time when I was 17 years old and I got in my dad's face and we about came to blows. Jesus died for that. Jesus says, I can erase all of that from your record. And what I can give you in exchange for your hateful, critical, mean, disobedient, rebellious attitude is the righteousness of an obedient son who never failed, who always trusted, and who always obeyed. That's the good news of the gospel. That because that son was given, and that son died, and that son rose again, I am now welcome as a son of God. That as sinful as I am, God looks at me and said, that's a son I'm proud of. I'll just say this to you today. We're going to get deeper into this murder and adultery stuff, and our guilt's going to get much, much worse. The being a smart aleck to my dad, that's bad. That's bad. It gets worse. It gets worse. But God is gracious and good. And you can be forgiven today. And if you believe that and if you know that, wouldn't you want that story to be the center of your home? Just as the story of God bringing slaves out of Egypt was to be the center of the homes in Israel, do you want that story to be the center of your home? Let's stand together. Let me pray for us. God, as we prepare for our invitation today, Lord, truly the invitation is bigger than just an altar call. But it's about a change in the dynamics and the temperament and the culture of our families. It's about changing fathers. It's about changing children. God, I know there's a lot of complexity in some of these situations with our families. We pray for grace and we pray for wisdom. But God, I pray especially for that person who feels the burden of the guilt of their sin today. And they recognize that their strength is small. Lord, they can't even obey their mom. How are they going to obey you? Lord, I pray you'd point them to Jesus who obeyed in their place. And God, I pray they would be born anew by believing in Him. Work among us now, we pray, and amen.